see. The door whined with the nasal squeal of hinges that had probably never been oiled. Two words were spray-painted on the door. For the second time in a couple of weeks, I wondered what the hell it meant. Nobody cares. Chapter 2 It looked like a particularly grisly suicide, except that the spray-paint can was nowhere around. I heard Charlie Clapper and his CSU arrive and begin to unpack forensic equipment in the outer room. I stood aside as the photographer took his shots of the victim. Then I yanked the extension cord out of the wall. Charlie changed the fuse. Thank you, Jesus, he said as light flooded the god-awful place. I was rifling through the victim's clothes, finding not a scrap of ID, when Claire Washburn, my closest friend and San Francisco's chief medical examiner, walked through the door. It's pretty nasty, I told Claire as we went into the bathroom. Claire is a center of warmth in my life, more of a sister to me than my own. I've been having an impulse. To do what? Claire asked me mildly. I swallowed hard, forcing down the gourds that kept rising in my throat. I'd gotten used to a lot of things, but I would never get used to the murder of children. I just want to reach in and pull out the stopper. The victim looked even more stricken in the bright light. Claire crouched beside the tub, squeezing her size 16 body into a size 6 space. Pulmonary edema, she said of the pink foam in the dead boy's nasal and oral orifices. She traced the faint bruising on the lips, around the eyes. He was tuned up a bit before they threw the switch on him. I pointed to the vertical gash on his cheekbone. What do you make of that? My guess? going to match the push-down lever on the toaster. Looks like they clocked this child with that sunbeam before they chucked it into the tub. The boy's hand was resting on the bathtub's rim. Claire lifted it tenderly, turned it over. No rigor. He's been dead less than six hours. No visible track marks. She ran her hands through the boy's matted hair, lifted his bruised top lip with her gloved fingers. He hadn't seen a dentist in a while. Could be a runaway. Yeah, I said. Then I must have gotten quiet for a minute or so. What you thinking, honey? That I've got another John Doe on my hands. I was remembering another teenage John Doe, a homeless kid who'd been murdered in a place like this when I was just getting started in homicide. It was one of my worst cases ever, and ten years later the death still gnawed at me. I'll know more when I get this young man on my table, Claire was saying when Jacoby stuck his head through the doorway again. The informant says that partial plate number was taken off a Mercedes, he said. A black one. A black Mercedes had been seen at the other electrocution murder. I grinned as I felt a surge of hope. Yes, I was making it personal. I was going to find the bastard who had killed these kids, and I was going to put him away before he could do it again. Chapter 3 A week had gone by since the nightmare at the Lorenzo Hotel. The crime lab was still sifting through the abundant detritus of Room 21, and our informant's three-digit partial license plate number was either half wrong or a wild guess. As for me, I woke up every morning feeling pissed off and sad because this ugly case was nowhere. 
but dead kids haunted me as I drove to Susie's for a get-together with the girls that evening. Susie's is a neighborhood cafe, a bright hot spot with walls sponge-painted in tropical colors, serving spicy but tasty Caribbean food. Jill, Claire, Cindy, and I had adopted this place as our sanctuary as well as our clubhouse. Our straight-shooting girl talk, unhampered by rank or department lines, had often cut through weeks of bureaucratic BS. Together, we'd broken cases wide open in this very spot. I saw Claire and Cindy in our booth at the back. Claire was laughing at something Cindy had said, which happened a lot because Claire had a great laugh, and Cindy was a funny girl as well as a first-class investigative reporter for the Chronicle. Jill, of course, was gone. I want what you're having, I said as I slid into the booth next to Claire. There was a pitcher of margaritas on the table and four glasses, two of them empty. I filled a glass and looked at my friends, feeling that almost magical connection that we'd forged because of all we'd gone through together. Looks like you need a transfusion, Claire joked. I swear I do. Bring on the IV. I took a gulp of the icy brew snagged the newspaper that was beside Cindy's elbow, and paged through until I found the story buried on page 17 of the Metro section, below the fold. Info sought in Tenderloin District Murders. I guess it's a bigger story in my mind, I said. Dead street people don't make page one, Cindy said sympathetically. It's odd, I told the girls. Actually, we have too much information, 7,000 prints, hair, fiber, a ton of useless DNA from a carpet that hadn't been vacuumed since Nixon.